So one way of looking at the, at the world is that there's really nothing new under the sun. People have always been leading with or driven by greed, hatred, ignorance. And, you know, that really hasn't changed. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing. <laughs> But on the other hand, the world is absolutely nutso right now. The, the world that we live in, just from, from, the, from the heating up of our planet to, to all the ripple effect of, that can happen as a result of climate change and the spread of pandemics potentially and the, the intimate expression every day of abuse of some form or another back to the dark ages with beheadings and I mean it's it's crazy and yet we practice and we practice why do we practice we practice to one to be able to sit in the middle of that to meet the way life is presenting itself meet the truth of how it is but also to be able to to meet it by resting, by being in touch with that which is untouched by whatever visits, to awaken, to awaken to the what's sometimes called the deathless, to awaken to the unconditioned, to awaken to our deepest nature that is, um, that is always free, that has never been born, that never dies, that's, that's, that's immovable, immaculate, unassailable. That uh, even that goes in the most intimate ways through our ups and downs of our lives, through every single moment of our experience, but remains remains quiet. And it, you could call it the quiet presence in us that that meets all, all of our reactivity, that meets our our frustrations, that meets our sadness, our grief, that meets everything but remains immovable. And essentially that's what all beings who have awakened, and the whole point of the Buddha's teaching was to, to develop, to, to uh, inspire in each person a sense of urgency. And if there was ever a time to feel the kind of urgency to find that which can allow us to sit in the middle of it all, and not simply be burned up with sorrow and reactivity and frustration and impatience and, and hopelessness. It's now. It's now. So we don't just practice to, to, for a little bit of stress relief, even though that's a good thing too. But the potential in us, the potential is to to truly awaken. And the Buddha had a very clear notion of what would allow us to, how we could meet uh, the inevitable joys and sorrows and, and the, the inevitable difficulties of our lives, the, the nothing new under the sun part of existence. That even, you know, from, the begin, from beginningless time, from the beginning of time, there have, people have been driven by, uh, by confusion. 
and um, self-interest and power and, and a kind of insatiable hunger. And when that, when that rules the day, when we are more interested in our own in, intrapersonal drama, and I don't say drama in a lighthearted way. I'm, I, we're all caught up in, a, in a, a profound drama of our own individuality and our existence. But if, we, if our life is driven by the preoccupation in that, we, our view becomes very, very narrow. And it's very easy to have our eyes closed to, to the, the truth of what's, uh, what's happening. And they're basically... I think there are basically two ways that human beings, there are many ways, but two main ways that people deal with the enormity of suffering, you could say, the enormity of the challenge that every single person is born into. I always say that the definition of birth is the leading cause of many, many, many things that are hard to bear, including sickness, old age, dying, death, not getting what you want, not wanting what you get, being separated from what you, you hold most near and dear. So grief, as the Buddha described it, lamentation. If you were born, this is what you're born into. So everybody's born into the same predicament, and some people deal with that by facing it, by opening to it, by, by saying, yes, this is how it is, by not, by not resisting it, not embellishing it, but by opening to it. This is how the world is right now. This is how my body is right now. This is how my mind is. This is how my life is right now. And there are those who, who in their heart, they know that to turn away from how it is, even if it's out of, out of wanting to take care of ourselves, even if it's wanting to find some relief, to turn away from how life is, is uh, actually increases our, our uh, stress and disease. So intuitively, some move toward reality. And that was what the Buddha recommended. To be one of those, and hopefully everyone, not someone to adopt a view about life, that life is difficult. That's not the point of it. But life is difficult. But to meet that with, with openness. To meet that with, to let it break your heart. Because the very thing that you open to settles your heart. It breaks your heart. When your heart breaks, we settle. When our heart is tight and reactive, it generates more and more reactivity. We get more and more tight, aversive. And then what happens when we get too uptight and aversive, too reactive to how life is? Then we shut down. And then we hide away in fear and dullness. And we get, we get really uh, that aggre- the aggression that doesn't have a place to go. It goes inward, and we get really, really sad, depressed, or or just feel hopeless and helpless. And so those who 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 
there are those who see how life is and turn toward it. And that very turning toward means that we have to learn to feel, that we have to learn not, not to become, uh, not, be, not, to be, not to have a new religion around feeling, not to elevate feelings to some kind of preeminence, but to feel enough to be moved, to feel that we, just by the fact that my heart is moved by what's happening in the world right now, it actually, it, it, it actually increases my sense of caring and aliveness makes me want to do something. And that it inspires a kind of um, connection. I don't feel so cut off. I feel, I feel at home. I'm, one of the, I'm part of the family of beings who have to, have to live here. And somehow that sense of a wider community grows. And I, I look around and I see my fellow community members and I go, oh, we're all in this together. How do we, how do we deal with this? It's very different than hiding away fear, dullness, contraction, distraction. And that's really the other, the other side. And for, unfortunately, a huge percentage of our population, out of love for ourselves, has chosen the other direction. Out of love for ourselves, we say, it's too much. I've got I've to chill out. I've taken, into, I've taken on too much. It's too hard to bear. So instead of, instead of a kind of measured opening to life in a, in, a, in a way that has a value of staying connected to the reality that we all face, both inside ourselves and in our world, instead, we just start pulling away. We start uh, getting absorbed in our our phones, uh, the television, the the malls, our minds, our thoughts, and it's so easy to become habituated to becoming disembodied disconnected from our heart from a sense of embodied presence where we can feel each other and it's very easy in that disembodiment to just live in in virtual reality live completely in the story of the world the story of ourselves rather than the living reality of it and that just perpetuates a feeling of of being cut off from the flow of life then we walk around feeling like, how did I get so isolated and separate? They tell me that uh, the wave is never separated from the ocean, but I feel very separate. So there are basically two ways people go. And some people can very successfully, for a time, hide out. But eventually, life's truths are kept with, um, as Jennifer Wellwood calls it, ruthless impeccability. This is why she says, Jennifer Wellwood says, my friends, let's grow up. Let's stop pretending we don't know the deal here. Or if we truly haven't noticed, let's wake up and notice. Look, everything that can be lost will be lost. It's simple. How could we have missed it for so long? 
Let's grieve our losses fully, like ripe human beings. But please, let's not be so shocked by them. Let's not act so betrayed, as though life had broken her secret promise to us. Impermanence is life's only promise to us, and she keeps it with ruthless impeccability. To a child she seems cruel, but she is only wild, and her compassion exquisitely precise. Brilliantly penetrating, luminous with truth, she strips away the unreal to show us the real. This is the true ride. Let's give ourselves to it. Let's stop making deals for a safe passage. There isn't one anyway, and the cost is too high. We're not children anymore. The true human adult gives everything for what cannot be lost. Let's dance the wild dance of no hope. Or as one expression put it, no mud, no lotus. So the Buddha didn't stop with the, with the uh, diagnosis of the world being hard to bear. In fact, even though we're dancing the wild dance of no hope, his message was incredibly hopeful. It reminded us that we are, that we are a, each of us is a, a creative process. Each of us is trainable. That in fact, every moment of our life, every single moment in this life is an open, you could call it an open field of creative possibility. That if we have the presence of, of mind and the willingness, if we are awake to what's happening, in the, any moment of being awake, we, can, uh, we have a choice. We have a choice about where to uh, incline our mind. When we're carried along by the stream of distress, we're, we don't have a lot of volition. There's not, there's not much we can do when we're just lost. But the fact that we do have within us this wakefulness, this fact of being aware. So anyone here not have awareness? So everybody, I want you to stop being aware right now. And when you do that, when you try to stop, you'll see how primary, how, how immediate, and how this, this very quality of awareness, of aware presence, is, some would call that the Buddha in you. That is the Buddha. That's, the Buddha just means awake. That is the... And that wakefulness is, is, uh, is actually very, very precious. Because when it's present, it functions as a, a purification of your... Um, uh, as having the potential for the purification of your thoughts, your words, and your actions. And in fact, in the moments that you are aware, just aware, it's amazing, just being aware, that moment of just being aware, so close, so natural, 
so wondrous, so easy, just a moment of being aware. But that moment is a moment free of suffering. It doesn't mean that what you're aware of is not painful. It doesn't mean that it's not scary. It doesn't mean that it's not, that it's not unpleasant. But the mind that meets reality in an open way is a mind that is not reacting. It's a mind that's not, and a reactive mind is a suffering mind. A non-reactive mind is a non-suffering mind. So every moment where not only is that moment a moment free of greed, free of hatred, free of delusion, we're no longer confused in the moments that we're awake. Not only is it have this kind of purifying quality because it, in a sense it cleanses our reactive mind but it also opens up it opens us up to reality and when I am open when my lens is wide not narrow not preoccupied when my lens is wide I see more clearly, and what I see more clearly, I care more about. What I care more about, I am more responsive to. And if I see in these moments of wakefulness, oh, I hurt right now. And if I see that in an undisguised way, that my heart is heavy, that my head is, and my head is clouded, but that the world is crazy, my heart's going to break. I am going to, I'm going to hopefully, and I hope you'll do this, I'm going to put my hand on my heart, especially when it comes to recognizing my my own personal predicament, my own pain. I'm going to say, well, I might add the Joseph Goldstein mantra, it's okay. Love my heart, but I'll say, I actually wrote this down, a nice little practice that uh, somebody I've worked with for many years uses in her teachings on self-compassion. By the way, when you rub your heart, it stimulates the vagus nerve and releases oxytocin. So rub your heart all day long. I've been doing it for years. I didn't know it did all these wonderful things, other than I I have always felt relieved. So rub your heart. Say, this is a moment of suffering, if that's what I discover. This is a moment of suffering. So there's a few things happening here. I'm turning toward whatever it is that's painful and difficult. I am awake. So I'm not grasping. I'm not condemning. I'm not deluded. I'm not lost in a, in a virtual version of life. I'm actually in touch with it. This is a moment of suffering. And then I remind myself, suffering is part of life. This is a moment of suffering. Suffering is part of life. May I hold this suffering with kindness. May I hold this suffering with compassion. So that's just one option of when I am awake, there's a seed I can plant. A seed rather than the seed of of more frustration, more impatience, more irritation. I can cultivate especially if I feel that I'm all bound up, I can, I can, 
plant that seed of, of compassion, of loving kindness. But the Buddha didn't stop with turning toward life's difficulties. He said, and I've alluded to this already this evening, he said what turns the basic difficulties of life, and when I say basic, I don't mean they're basic, I mean the universal sufferings that everyone experiences, what turns that into mental suffering, what turns the basic unsatisfying, unreliable, challenging elements of life into mental suffering is this chronic tendency. And I said this before, even if it comes out of love for ourselves, this chronic tendency to want it to be other than the way it is, that expresses itself as a constant state of wanting, of craving, of needing things to be different that keeps our, keeps us bound on a wheel of endlessly, endlessly being in an endless state of suspended happiness, always needing something else to give us a sense of relief. And what that does is it colors, colors our experience. It colors the only experience that we ever have, which is just in the unfolding present moment it colors it in such a way that it looks as though there is no possible way that I can be happy now. And if I can't be happy now, I can't be happy anywhere, anytime. Yet all of us, for the most part, are trained in, I call it, postponing happiness. Postponing releasing, postponing openness and peace. All because there is a belief that I need to have something or get or do something or become someone, get somewhere, go somewhere in order to be happy. And and really the freedom comes from just the opposite of that. It comes from sitting right in the middle of things. As a teacher, Nisargadatta put it, as long as we believe that we need things and experiences to make us happy, we shall also believe that in their absence we must be miserable. Mind shapes itself according to its beliefs. Pleasure distracts us for it merely increases the false conviction that one needs to have and do things to be happy when in reality it's just the opposite. Real happiness is best expressed as there is nothing wrong with me. I have nothing to worry about. After all, the ultimate purpose of practice is to reach a point where this conviction, instead of being only verbal, is based on actual, ever-present experience. Which experience? The questioner asks... The experience of being open, empty, uncluttered by memories and expectations. It's like the happiness of open spaces, of being young, of having all the time and energy for doing things, for discovery, for adventure. Your true home is in this openness, empty of all content. 
True happiness has no cause, and what has no cause is immovable. All pointing back to being able to sit in the middle of life, discovering in us that which is unmoved by whatever visits. So how did that happen? How does... I think there's a little bit of a window in the teachings about how we can realize this. And Of course, the first part is to turn toward reality, turn toward your experience just the way it is, not try to push it away, not try to hold on, but to open. So the second truth, as I said, that the, the second teaching that the Buddha offered is what causes us to hold on so tightly or to become so unhappy is to hold, because we hold on so tightly. Hold on to that desire to, to get somewhere, get rid of something. And sometimes that desire is so strong, we, the desire to make everything go away is um, so strong that we just want to, literally want to die. And this is just an extreme form of craving for non-existence. It's another form of saying, I cannot find relief now. This is the trance that our mind enters into. So the Buddha had a prescription for how to deal with this trance of dissatisfaction, this constant state of seeking and, and, and craving, wanting. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't want to... You shouldn't want things. I mean, it's fine. To, we're wanting beings. We're desiring beings. But it's, it's turning the wanting mind and the aversive mind into an extreme, an extreme state of contraction. That's what happens to us. So the Buddha's recommendation is that we, we let go. We learn how to let go. And we do everything with a mind that lets go. Everything is about relaxing the tight fist of grasping and relaxing as much as we can, moment by moment. And if you do that a little bit, moment by moment, you'll have a little peace. If you do it a lot, you'll have a lot of peace. And as Ajahn Chah says, if you do it completely, you'll have complete peace and freedom. In regard to letting go, this dovetails with the... With the Hopi tradition, the Hopi prophecy. I'll just read a little bit of it, see if you can relate. You've been telling the people that this is the 11th hour. This is from the Hopi elders. Now you must go back and tell the people that this is the hour. And there are things to be considered. Where are you living? What are you doing? Are you in right relation? There is a river flowing now very fast. It is so great and swift that there are those who will be afraid. They will try to hold on to the shore. They will feel they are being torn apart and they will suffer greatly. No, the river has its destination. The elders say we must let go of the shore push off into the middle of the river, keep our eyes open and our heads above the water. See who is in there with you and celebrate. 
At this time in history, we are to take nothing personally, least of all ourselves. For the moment that we do, our growth and journey come to a halt. The time of the lone wolf is over. Gather yourselves. Banish the word struggle from your attitude and your vocabulary. All that we do now must be done in a sacred manner and in celebration. We are the ones we've been waiting for. So this is what the Buddha discovered when he, as he sat under the Bodhi tree and he saw the, the world of, of constant changing conditions, he saw the constant change of his mind, of his body, he saw the reality of of difficulties, of sickness, of old age and death. He saw the way that beings cling to the pride in youth and the pride in health and the pride in life. And in seeing the nature of change over and over and how out of control everything was, his mind started to, he just started to let go, which is the wise and loving response to the clinging, to the clinging. And when he opened his tight fist of grasping, there was this infinite space. And there was a flash of insight and the discovery that the freedom, the immovable, the deathless, the unconditioned, that which could bear the unbearable was none other than the nature of his own mind. And he'd been searching for that relief everywhere but what was closer, nearer than his breath. And he then, he then shared, he said, there's an end to all this struggle. And there's a prescription. And that prescription was, you must realize it. Not to adopt a religion about it or a view, but to realize it moment by moment by moment. Check it out. What happens in a moment where you, for one moment in the span of your day, let life be just the way it is? That means to let go of the idea of your life and to feel it directly. To be aware of being aware. And for a moment, don't look back and don't look ahead. Let go into the stream of life right where it touches you. Be supported by life right where it touches you. As I always quote the little duck, ease yourself into the boundless right where it touches you. Repose in the immediate as if it were infinity, which it is. So the prescription for this potential for the end is to realize it. And then finally, what the Buddha suggested was uh, that there is a a way that you can can create out of the fabric of your life a path, a way, a practice of awakening, moment by moment by moment. The first part of it, being super careful about your speech, careful about your 
sensual, sexual relationship, careful about intoxicating your mind to the point of heedlessness. Careful about, about your relationship to this planet, to the other beings, to have a reverence for life, a reverence for all beings, all creatures, all individuals, all those who draw breath, to turn your attention toward a commitment to harmlessness, to train your attention, to develop mindfulness, to concentration, to cultivate what's wholesome, maintain what's wholesome, prevent things that, are, that cause suffering from, from entering into your life, that cause more mental suffering. And finally, remember, remember, you're not alone. Everybody, everybody has challenges. There is, the world is defective in that it's not weird that there are problems. There always will be problems. It's the definition of birth. So don't be under the delusion that it's just you. Don't personalize that. But practice moment by moment until you become so intimately involved with this unshakable presence that you will be able to sit in the middle of it all and be free. And don't wait for this. No one is going to drop from the sky some kind of grace. It's not about believing in anybody. It's about seeing for yourself. One of my teachers said once, truth exalts a holy person. So when we open to the truth with humility, then it, it will, it, you will feel exalted. You'll feel that, that shimmering. You'll feel that tenderness. You'll feel that humility in the face of, of life. And you'll be free. Instead of thinking of yourself as, as so flawed and unworthy. It's all a lie anyway. That's why Emerson said, Who you are, shout so loud, I can't hear what you say. So we'll sit with that for a moment. Who you are, shout so loud, I can't hear what you say. I'll leave you once again with the words of Jennifer Wellwood in her poem called Unconditional. Willing to experience aloneness, I discover connection everywhere. Turning to face my fear, I meet the warrior who lives within. Opening to my loss, I gain the embrace of the universe. Surrendering into emptiness, I find fullness without end. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I welcome transforms me and becomes itself transformed into its radiant, jewel-like essence. I bow to the one who has made it so, who has created this master game. To play it is purest delight 
to honor its form, true devotion. May all beings experience the urgency to awaken. May all beings find happiness, true happiness, and the causes of happiness. May all beings be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. May all beings grow in serenity and equanimity, able to sit in the middle of the joys and the sorrows with less reactivity. May all beings be free. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your generosity. Thanks for your practice. And please be mindful and loving. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.